Are you ready to hear the word? All right. Here we go. All the way from Elgin, Texas, by way of Granbury, is the one and only Jeff Ferris, bringing us the word of the Lord, entitled, The Price is Right. Wow. How about that, as Debbie said? <laughs> well, let's open this game show up with prayer. I bet that's never happened, right? <laughs> Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to gather here in your name. I thank you for your word, for the power and the truth that's in it. Father, I pray anything that I say that is not from you would fall to the ground and die. But anything that I speak that is of you, Father, I pray will take root in the hearts of those who have ears to hear and bear fruit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, Thank the leadership for letting me speak, uh, especially getting to speak after Bishop Jackson's last week. Jeez, whiz. <laughs> if y'all have a not, if you weren't here, and even if you were here, you need to listen to that message. Just unbelievable. Um, but the, the series, uh, The Price is Right, premiered on NBC daytime schedule on November 26, 1956. I'm sure everybody has seen it, except probably Debbie Tran. <laughs> but and uh, it moved to NBC in 1972. Bob Barker was the host until 2007. It aired over 9,000 episodes, and it's the longest-running network series in the history of the United States television. I'm sure you've seen it. The contestants make successive bids on merchandise prizes and with the goal of bidding the closest to the real price without going over. Understanding the value of something, what it is worth, is the key to winning on The Price is Right. In its early days, the show was famous for having some outlandish or exceptionally unique prizes. The winner of a colored TV also received a live peacock <laughs> as a color guide. <laughs> the winner of a barbecue pit and the usual accessories also received a live Angus steer and the bonus prize for a trip to Israel included an appearance as an extra in the 1960 film Exodus. Now, I've never been one of a watch a lot of game shows, but I know some people plan their days and evenings around them. Uh, I do find some game shows to be rather funny. And doing some research for my lesson today, I came across an article that said the dumbest answers to questions asked of contestants in game show history. Here's a few of them. Name something that follows the word pork. The answer is capine. <laughs> Name a kind of bear. The answer is papa. <laughs> the second contestant said yogi. Name a tradition associated with Christmas. The answer given was Hanukkah. Name a city in the state of Georgia. The answer was Alabama. <laughs> Name a child's story about an animal. The answer was David and Goliath. And then my favorite one. No, I have, I have two favorites. Name a person whose name starts with the letter K. The answer is Kentucky Fried Chicken. 
and we'll finally name an animal that primarily eats grass. The answer is ant eater. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons I don't like game shows is because I'm terrible at them. I am the worst speller ever. My poor spelling is really what led me to really cry out to God. Uh, did y'all ever have spelling bees in your class when you were a little kid? Can you imagine being the worst speller in the world and it's time for the school spelling bee? The night before, I would fall on my knees and pray to God that the teacher would get strep throat or that the pipes would break and the school would flood. But it never happened. I'd always go and sure enough, it's time for the spelling bee. The teacher would get two captains and they would pick their teams and it usually in the picking would end with an, you get him, and that leaves you with Jeff. <laughs> and I would try to hide, but it didn't matter. Eventually my name, my turn would come, and I would be so nervous. If the teacher asked me to spell my name, I would not have been able to spell it right. And uh, that's, just, that's just one reason why I hate game shows, because I'm terrible at them. The reason I started my lesson off with the prices right is for the past 11 months I've been wrestling with the question how much is that worth how much is that worth on a daily basis I ask myself that question in preparing for today's lesson I did run across an interesting documentary on the prices right called the perfect bid the contestant who knew too much. Watch this. And I still have all of my name tags and contestant cards from all the tapings I've been to. Pretty sure it was 37 altogether. So one week I got into like watching Prices Rights from like 1973. The same refrigerator freezer is on four different episodes that I watched and it was $789 all four times. I'm like, well, see there it is, there's proof. So that kind of inspired me to start tracking prices or keeping the records, if you will. It's just sad that people don't know the whole story. So I appreciate being able to tell it. Without those people, I would have had to work for a living. <laughs> Ted Slauson is the focus of the 2017 documentary. Uh, he was a math wizard. And uh, he became fascinated with the show in, 19, in the 1970s, and he spent 35 years of his life memorizing the prizes of prices. Of prizes. Uh, he played a role in coming up with the only time in the history of the show where they, they guessed the exact price of the grand prize. He invested 35 years of his life in doing that, and he knew the price for everything that was on that show. But there's one thing that he did not know the price of, and that price is you. If he was asked, what is this person's price, he couldn't tell you. 
A little over a year ago, October 1st, I stood before the congregation and talked about how God was my way maker. I ended my career at a company in Fort Worth called PDX. I'd worked there for 27 years, and in those 27 years, I, I rose from basically an entry-level employee to becoming the CEO of PDX. It was a small company at the time. It grew and grew. So at one time, we had over 600 employees. We were the leader at what we did in the United States in providing software services to retail pharmacies. During that time, God, I spoke, at, I spoke at, on October 1st last year about how God revealed himself to me over and over again in those 27 years as being my way maker, my miracle worker, my promise keeper, and my light in the darkness. But my career ended there uh, when PDX was sold. And I began my plans for retirement. Uh, and I talked about what those plans were on October 1st last year. But as the saying goes, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Or another way of saying it is man plans and God laughs. <laughs> I've been asked many times this year over the last 11 months, uh, how's your retirement going? And my answer is, it's not. My retirement is not going. My plans for the future took a totally different path following an event on November the 23rd of last year. It was on that date that the founder and owner of the company that I'd worked for for uh, 27 years passed away. Uh, he wasn't in the best of health, but it was a shock, shock when he died. Uh, the family asked me to perform his funeral. I had performed several services for the family through the years, and I agreed to do it uh, due to COVID. Uh, it was a small gathering. It was held at Comanche Peak. Uh, that's where Ken's buried up there on a crypt. If you walk out the front of the church here and look to the right on the horizon, you can see Comanche Peak out there, and that's where he's buried at. Shortly after the funeral, I learned that his will had named me to be the executor of his estate. The executor of an estate is someone who wraps up a deceased individual's financial affairs. If the deceased has a will, which Ken did, the will usually names a close relative or a friend or an accountant or attorney or a financial institution to act as the executor of the will. In, uh, Ken never asked me if I wanted to do that. Uh, but I was honored to do it, I mean, that he trusted me enough to do it. Uh, and the things I'm sharing with you about this, it's public record, so you could go out and look at it. So I'm not sharing anything that's uh, out of the ordinary. But uh, so instead of pursuing my retirement, I, I agreed to serve as executor of Ken's estate. I've never been, anyone here been an executor of a estate? Anybody? A couple? Yeah, so some of you have a feeling. Uh, feel for what that's like. Well, I had never done it before. So why not start with a huge estate right off the bat? <laughs> so in addition to being asked to be the executor of Ken's estate, 
Uh, I was asked to also assume the CEO and chairman of the board position for his new startup company. Uh, that he, he started a, a company called EHR Data, Electronic Healthcare Record Data, right after he sold the company I'd been over. Uh, being a private company, uh, Ken was majority shareholder, so I essentially served as Ken. I voted his, I vote his shares. So I, I essentially stand in his place. Uh, many of Ken's personal assets and many of the company's assets are intertwined. So people that are, have been in business can understand how complicated that can be. Uh, but it's not that uncommon for a private company to have the founder and chairman kind of mingle things. And so he did. So part of my responsibility was in addition to taking care of his estate, I needed to unwind everything and essentially sell everything that, was, that the company owned that really was not part of the company's core business. So that was my task, uh, keep his new company running, uh, close out his estate, and dispose of all of the things that were not really part of the core business. So it was, uh, it's a, a very large estate. There are five houses. Here's, here's one of them. It sits on uh, Miami, on, a, on the Venetian Islands, the group of islands between Miami Beach and South Beach. Beautiful. Uh, this house uh, sold for $12 million. Here's the house that Ken bought after he uh, sold PDX. Uh, it's over on Crestline in Fort Worth. Uh, he paid $8 million for it. Unfortunately, he was only able to live in it for four months, and he passed away in this home. Um, there was a home in, on Possum Kingdom Lake. Uh, this sold for $3.6 million. There were two airplanes. This is a Cessna 10 Plus. I think it's $8 million. Uh, just giving you an idea of how vast this thing is. This is the inside of it. It's a beautiful jet. Um, very fast, can fly long distances. Uh, he bought a 1944 Beechcraft Stagger Wing. I know nothing about planes. I see Marietta hiding Greg's eyes, but it's been sold. <laughs> it's been sold. Sold for half a million. Uh, he bought it for half a million dollars. Uh, and he had 17 cars. Some of them were classics. I'm not going to show them all, but here's a 1938 Ford Woody station wagon. Uh, Steve, this is the only one that hasn't sold. <laughs> See me after church. Uh, here's a 1938 Ford Roadster, uh, a 1969 Ferrari Daytona. He had a lot of... Uh, modern cars, high-end cars, a 2018 Ferrari GTC4, Lusso, um, a Rolls-Royce Dawn. He also had a Rolls-Royce Ghost, a 2019 Porsche GT2 RX, a beautiful car. Boats, lots of boats. Uh, here's one. Here's a racing boat he had built. This thing has two Black Hawk helicopter engines in it. It was a 
gas machine. Uh, <laughs> probably million and a quarter worth put into it. Uh, you couldn't sell it for anything because it was just a disaster. It just wouldn't run. The, the motor was too torqued for the for the boats, and what I understand, when they'd fired up, he'd throw the propeller through the bottom of the boats. <laughs> so we ended up donating it for $800,000 as opposed to trying to sell it for $200,000. Uh, he had some wooden boats, he had a houseboat, I mean, lots of lots of boats. And as you would expect, there were lots of fine art and jewelry, expensive furniture, Indian artifacts, and real estate in addition to the houses like Comanche Peak up there. So it was my responsibility to determine what is all this stuff worth. So I've, I've hired some professionals. Uh, if you ever need anybody, Tanya Adams from When Pigs Fly and uh, Michelle Castro from Heritage Auctions, a worldwide high-end auction house, uh, were on great help. Um, but I don't know why I can't pick me. I'm the least qualified person to do this. I drive a, a 2015 Dodge pickup truck with 150,000 miles in it. I love my house that I live in, but it is not a mansion. I comfortably live there, but it is not a million dollars. It's not half a million dollars. Um, and I sold the only boat I ever had a long time ago. But Ken trusted me, and I was honored to be named his executor. Again, I just wish he had asked me. <laughs> the one question I had to answer for each and every item in this estate, from the houses to the knives and forks that are in the houses, was what is that worth? Because in the end, I have to appear before a court, probate court, and say, this is how much Ken's estate is worth. And I have to have a list of every single item that's in his estate and what the value of it is. So the answer to what the value of it is was there's two. One is, what did the professional say this is the estimated value to be? That's what I have to turn into the courts. And the other question I would ask myself is, what was each item worth to Ken? And do you know what each item was worth to Ken? It's what he was willing to pay for it. It's what he was willing to pay for it. A few minutes ago, I asked two questions. Uh, two minutes ago, I was supposed to question to you, what are you worth? What are you worth? And the second question I have for you is, how to determine what is of worth to you? What are you worth? And how to determine what is of worth to you? So let me answer the first question for you. What are you worth? You are so valuable. that the creator of the world, God Almighty himself, allowed his son to die on the cross for you. That is what you're worth. 
Why did he do that? Why did God allow his son to die on the cross for you and for me? Well, because he loves us. We are that valuable to him. He loves us so much that he doesn't not want to be separated from us. And what separates us from God? Sin. Sin separates us from God. God cannot be in the presence of sin. So the only way that we can come into the presence of God is by accepting this gift that God has offered us, the gift of his son. Sin has no place in God, and regardless of how good you are or how good-looking you are or how much money you have or how smart you are, how successful you are, or how persuasive of a speaker you are. Unless you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not going to be able to be in the presence of God when you leave this earth. Can I get an amen? amen. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me that the Father, through the, except through the, no one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 12, Paul writes, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, I understand that that can be offensive to some people. You know, who do you think you are, Jeff? Who do you think you are, Mr. Christian, Mrs. Christian, to say the only way I can get to heaven is through Jesus Christ? Well, if you believe the Bible, then that is what you believe. And if you're offended by that and you don't like it, then I promise you, you will have a time at some point after you die where you can take that up with God Almighty. Now, some people are offended by the message because they don't like the idea that there's only one way. And some people are offended by the idea that the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And they'll point out all the bad things that Christians have done. They'll point to some TV preachers that have fallen. They'll point to the crusade wars and all the things that were done in the name of Christianity. I get that. I understand how that can be a problem when someone is telling a person that is thinking about all those things. I just said, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ. There's a lot of things that's been done by Christians in the name of Christ. But there are some people who call themselves Christians, but they're Christian only in name. Jesus talked about that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven Many will say to me in that day, let me read that again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There are a lot of people that proclaim to be Christians, but they're not. I, I say there's a lot. I know that there are. Uh, and I think that those people are guilty often of giving Christianity a bad name. And there's another reason why Christians do things, and that's because we're sinners. When you are saved, someone did you a big injustice if they told you, now you're saved, you accepted Christ as your Savior, you'll never sin again. That's not true. And you're not going to be living a life where you're never challenged. When you become a Christian, everything is going to be wonderful. You will still have challenges. But you have a heavenly Father, you have a Savior, and you have the Holy Spirit to help you through those things. Part of a closing, part of closing Ken's estate involves holding an auction, or multiple auctions in this case. And all of them have, have been done uh, online. So you get a link, you go online, you can look at the stuff, and then the bidding starts, and it's, it's very organized. I mean, when you're bidding for a painting that's $350,000, yeah. um, there's lots of stuff. That's the only way you really can do it. But we have all seen auctions, right? Old-fashioned auctions, auctioneer, Stands up, describes the, the item that's to be auctioned off and uh, asks if there's any questions and answers them if there are. And then he'll say, okay, well, let's start the bidding. Uh, who has the first bid? And then people just start bidding. And the person who wins that item, who buys that item, is the one who pays the highest price in the auctioneer will pound on the table and say, sold for $1,000 to the man in the blue Dallas cowboy hat. Come get your $1,000 thing. Right? We've all seen that, right? So while I was preparing this lesson and thinking about my responsibilities at Kins Estate and talking to the auction companies about things, uh, I began to reflect about my life. I turned 70 recently. And, uh, yeah, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> My wife threw a big party for me, and the first thing I asked her after she recognized me at her party is like, is there something you're not telling me? Am I terminally ill or something? Because <laughs> she made such a big deal of it. I was blessed by it. But as I, as I did, and as often we do when we reflect back on our life, when we reach a milestone, you know, I reflected back on my life, and, again, my thoughts are always kind of intertwined with what's going on with Ken's estate. I begin to think about what if I was auctioned off? What if, again, thinking about what, what, what are you worth? What am I worth? What if there was an auction that took place and I'm what's going to be auctioned? I can see it. I'm standing there and the auctioneer points to me and says, 
Okay, we have this 70-year-old sinner here. Uh, there's only two people bidding for me, Satan and Jesus Christ. And uh, so he said, let me, let me tell you a little bit about Jeff. I've got a video I'm going to show you of every moment of his life, everything he's said, everything he's done, everything he's thought. He plays it. It's going on fast. It's just a blur. It's just going by. Satan and Jesus watching it. It finishes. And Satan says, hey, can you rewind that back to 1970? And he does. I'm like, oh. Let's look at 1972. Oh, gosh. Let's look at this one. Oh, oh. It just goes on and on. It was clear what he was doing. He was trying to prove how worthless I was. So he says, Satan says, I've, okay, I've seen enough. I'm ready to bid. Christ said, well, wait, wait, wait. I want you to rewind it to July 14th, 1963 a Sunday night, and I want you to rewind it to 645. So there it is, a small church of Christ. They sing the invitation song, and here's this 11-year-old Jeffrey Lee Ferris, frightened out of his gourd, steps out in the aisle and walks down the aisle to brother Despain and the Church of Christ they don't call their preachers pastors so brother Despain was standing there and we're watching it Satan Jesus and me and the auctioneer and uh, you hear brother Despain ask me it's like what are you here for and I answered I want to be saved and he said Will you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And I said, yes, sir. You believe he died for your sins? Yes, sir. You believe he rose from the dead and now sits at the right hand of God? Yes, sir. Is Jesus Christ going to be the Lord of your life? And I said, yes, sir. And then he turned to the baptistry behind the pulpit and said, here's water. Would you like to be baptized? And I said, yes, sir. And... It showed me going down in the water and being brought up just like we saw today. And Jesus said, okay, I've seen enough. I'm ready to bid. And the auctioneer said, okay, let's open the bid. And Jesus said, I'll give my life for him. And Satan said, what? <laughs> Didn't you see this? Didn't you see that? Didn't you see 1984 when he walked away from the church? Didn't you see that? And Jesus said, he's mine. He's mine. And the auctioneer said, sold to the man with the holes in his hands, the hands in his feet, and the gash on his side. And Jesus said, welcome home. It is finished. That's what he said. Can you picture yourself being auctioned? 
John 3.16 tells us what we're worth. The Lord loves me so much and he loves you so much. He's loved everyone so much that has ever taken a breath that he gave up his life for each of us. He died a terrible death for each of us. It was the most costly gift you could ever give. But you have to receive it. He died for you, but you have to receive it. The fact that Jesus Christ died doesn't mean that everybody is now saved. Even Satan knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. If Satan were to come forward at church and the pastor said, do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? He would say, I sure do. But when he, the pastor would say, will you accept him as your Lord and Savior? Absolutely not. And if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then Jesus has not died and saved you. He's died, and he saved me, and he saved everybody else that said yes, 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 yes to all those questions that I entered when I was 11 years old. No one can answer that question about yourself but you. You're the only one that can do that. You can't be saved by your mama or your preacher or your best friend. Only Jesus Christ can save you. And if we ran a video of your life, would there be a scene where we could stop at and see you answering yes, yes, yes to those questions? Wouldn't necessarily have to be at a front of a church. You could be in the forest by yourself and the Holy Spirit reveals to you who Jesus is and you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart and begin to serve him and I believe you're saved. Now let's address the second question. How to determine what is of worth to you? How to determine what is of worth to you? Let's start by looking at one of Jesus' parables recorded in the Gospel of Luke. The lost and found sheep. A lot of people call it the lost sheep. I, I like the lost and found because he found him. So I'll read it to you. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, The man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. And I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents over the ninety-nine than over the ninety-nine who need, needed not to repent. In this parable, Jesus is a shepherd. And the sheep are people. They're souls. 
I mean, it's, it's a pretty simple story, right? Here's the shepherd. He's out in the fields with his sheep, a hundred of them. Uh, he's watching over them. Uh, the sheep are looking at him. And it's the end of the day, and it's time to bring them in. So he brings them in, and he puts them in the pen. He makes sure they have everything they need for the night. And then before he meets his needs, he counts them. 1, 2, 27, 38, 58, 91, 97, 98, 99. There's one missing. Maybe he miscounted. 97, 98, 99. Nope, there's one missing. It's late. He could have said, you know, I'll check it out in the morning. But that's not what a shepherd does. Remember Psalms 23? The Lord is my shepherd. That is the job description of a shepherd. So the shepherd in Jesus' parable goes out and looks for that sheep. I can see him. It's dark, right? He retraces his steps looking for that sheep, calling for it, trying to hear it. He looks in the most Obvious places the sheep could fall and get hurt or get lost. But then in the distance, he hears the call of the lost sheep. And he finds it, and he puts it on his shoulders. And grown sheep weigh over 100 pounds. Puts it on his shoulder and walks all the way back. When he found that sheep, do you think he's like, you stupid animal? Do you think he... Gave it a spanking? You think he kicked it? You think he beat it? No. I think he lovingly examined it to see if it was hurt. If it needed to be tended to, he tended to it. And then he brought it home. And when he got there, he told them, I've found the sheep. And everyone rejoiced. You know how sheep get lost? They take their eye off the shepherd. They've got their head down. They get occupied with things besides keeping up with where the shepherd's at, and they slowly wander off to where they're lost. You know how we get lost? We get distracted. We take our eyes off the shepherd. And if we're not careful we wind up somewhere that we never in our wildest imagination thought we would be away from God. Someone might think it's foolish to leave 99 to go get one. But if you're the one that's lost, you're glad he came and got you. I know I am glad he's come and got me. In the Gospel of John, Jesus states, I am the good shepherd. In two verses, John 10, 11 and John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, sees a wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches the sheep and scatters them. The hired hand flees because he is a hired hand and doesn't care for the sheep. I, Jesus, am the good shepherd. I know my own, 
and I'm known by my own. Even as the Father shows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for my sheep. I lay down my life for you. Now when Jesus went in the parable and went to pick up that sheep, that sheep could have run off. It could have just run away from him. But in his parable, he picked up the sheep. The sheep allowed himself to be picked up. And in my mind, when the sheep was crying out, I'm sure, for to be found, uh, I think that's like what we do when we're at our end and we cry out, God, help me. You see, we're, we may be lost in our life at times, separated from God, but we're not lost to him. He knows exactly where we're at. He doesn't have to wander around searching for us, wondering where we went. He knows where you're at. And all he's doing is just waiting for you to say, come and get me. Reach my hand. Take my hand. That's all he's asking to do. One can get an idea of how someone values something or someone else by observing how the individual takes care of it. How much time the individual invests in it. How much money the individual invests in it. How the individual talks about it. There are a lot of clues that could help answer that question. And I can see how the Lord values me, not only by providing me with a Savior, but by how he cares for me. He's available to me every day, 24 hours a day, at any time, I can call on his name and talk to him. He's arranged for me to have the instruction manual for life, the Bible. He's given me the gift of the Holy Spirit that lives in me. He's always with me. He has established his church for me that I can be a part of and serve in and be served. He's assigned angels to watch over me. He has arranged for all my needs to be met. And he has a heavenly home waiting for me when I draw my last breath. In what other way could he show me he loves me and values me? I can't think of one. But in return, what have I done to show him that I love him? What have you done to show him that you love him? I'm not talking about salvation by works. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about some list that you're keeping or that he's keeping. I'm talking about living a life where it's obvious that you love the Lord. It's obvious that you appreciate him. You know, it's, we've all been disappointed in life, right? You've given a gift and well, that's what I expected in return, right? Many of you know that I donated a kidney uh, a number of years ago, and she's with us today, just by chance. Well, not by chance. God knew you were going to be here today. But uh, Gary Kidder was a member of our church, and 
I won't go into the details, but I felt led to the Lord to donate a kidney to him, and I did. I was glad to do it. But I mean, no, 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 no. No, that's, here's, here's where I'm going with this. Uh, it was a gift from God. And I remember, I don't know how much time had passed. I mean, we were both still in the hospital, and I went down to Gary's room, and my recovery was going better than his. And, um, but I remember him thanking me for it. And he thanked me for being obedient to God. And he made me a promise. He said, I will take care of Lefty. That's what we call my left kidney. He said, I'll take care of Lefty, and you take care of Righty. I said, I will. And he said, I promise you, I will do everything within my power to take care of what gift you've given me. And I will do nothing to harm it. And I was so appreciative that he did that. And I reflect on how God must feel when he gave us his one and only son. And how do we show our appreciation for that gift? We have to accept it. And if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, you'll have the opportunity here in a few minutes. But um, when we accept it, how do we treat that gift? How do we treat this precious gift that we've been given? How do we show the Father of Jesus Christ how much we love him? Remember, I read the scripture about believe, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Now, anybody that was at a service or around you when you confess with your mouth, they heard that, right? But believe in your heart. Only you know that, right? And there should be some evidence in your life as to what is in your heart and how thankful you are for that gift. How do you value the gift that God's given you? And how do you value his church? Does your life reflect how much you believe Christ's sacrifice is worth to you? I believe it does. Your life reflects what it's worth to you. There's a song that's been out for a little bit, written by Laura Dangle. Sang by Lauren Dangle, is that right? Daigle. Golly, she told me not to misread that. Anyway, it's called, it's called Rescue, and I'm going to play that in a second, but I want to read the words to it to you. It says, you are not hidden. There's never been a moment you were forgotten. You're not hopeless. Though you have been broken, you're innocent stolen. I hear you whisper underneath your breath. I hear your SOS, your SOS. I will send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true. I will rescue you. There is no distance that cannot be covered over and over. You're not defenseless. I'll be your shelter. I'll be your armor. I hear you whisper underneath your breath. I hear your SOS, your SOS. I'll send out an army to find you in the middle of the darkest night. It's true, I will rescue you. 
I will never stop marching to reach you. In the middle of the hardest fight, it's true. I will rescue you. I hear you whisper underneath your breath. I hear you whisper, you have nothing left. I'll send out an army to find you. In the middle of the darkest night, it's true. I will rescue you. I will never stop marching to reach you. In the middle of the hardest fight, it's true. I will rescue you. Oh, I will rescue you. I'm going to play this song now. It's about three minutes long. And I would like for you to reflect during this song. Where are you at? Are you lost? Do you need to be rescued? Well, today is a day you can be rescued. Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? If not, then you definitely need to be rescued. Your eternity depends on that. So just think about that while this song plays. You can watch it and feel free to sing along with it if you want. You are not hidden There's never been a moment You were forgotten You are not hopeless Though you have been broken Your innocence stolen I hear you whisper underneath Send 
joyful song. You know, life can be hard and cruel and mean and hurtful, and it can cause you to run and hide. It isn't difficult to get lost, but it can be difficult to find your way back. There'll come a time when my role as the executor of Ken's estate will end. Everything will be assigned a value. It'll be sold or distributed according to the instructions in the will, and I'll go before a judge in a probate court and testify that I have fulfilled my obligations as the executor of his estate. And I'll be required to provide a list of everything in this state along with the status of it. And then at some point, I'll no longer be responsible for Ken's estate. There'll come a time in each of your lives and my life where we will no longer walk on this earth. And when that time comes, we'll be judged on whether we have accepted the gift as Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we'll, we'll also be held accountable for how we valued that gift. I'm going to ask the prayer team if they would to come forward and the worship team, if you guys could. One of the reasons I feel so passionate about this were the obvious ones. You know, I don't want everybody to be saved, but I was really stirred last week by Bishop Jackson's message, and I didn't need him to tell me the state that our country's in, right? And there's lots of reasons why our schools are in the state they're in. There's lots of reasons why our country's in the states it's in, why there's gender identity, why there's critical race theory, why there's riots in the streets, and a lot of the reasons why it's like that is because we as Christians have not done what we're supposed to do. We've allowed it to happen. Greg sent me something the other day. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I read it. I responded back and said, we didn't lose the battle. We didn't even fight the battle. So as Christians, if we stand up and live the life Christ has asked us to live, then there's no way that this nation can't be changed. There's no way that this city can't be changed to the positive, and there's no way relationships can't be healed and mended if Christ is the center of it. So the worship team's going to lead us in worship, and while they do, you've got, you actually have sinners down here in front of you. <laughs> you do. Saved sinners that are saved by grace, and in many cases, they probably walked through what you've walked through. They've probably been where you've been. But if you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, if you haven't accepted that gift, then today is the day you could do that. And we even have water here to baptize. You want to get baptized afterwards. But if, and if you're lost for whatever reason, you could be lost because you took your eyes off the Savior. You could be lost because you just got complacent. I don't know. But today is the day that you could rededicate your life. Today is the day you could be found. Today is 
the day that you'd write down in your book and say, I remember October the 10th, 2021.